looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us online on www.channelafrica.org. Or if you're listening to us on our shortwave service, it's on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, we focus on the good news that there are signs that the new numbers of people infected by Ebola is decreasing and that the first trial results of Ebola vaccine at Oxford University suggest the vaccine has an acceptable safety profile and is able to generate an immune response. Now, we'll find out what that is all about. I'm not kind of convinced. I've I've heard these kind of stories about new vaccines when it comes to Ebola. Now, they're saying there's an experimental large-scale trial that's underway now. We'll find out from some experts what's happening in this regard, especially the safety of this and how safe is this particular vaccine and also look at where we are with Ebola. But let's get our news from Anne Musa. In the headlines, Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane says Sadek made a mistake by overexposing South African Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa. He's serving as Sadek facilitator and mediator in Lesotho. Egypt tightens security at Cairo Airport after finding two bombs near the arrivals hall. And international experts gather in Budapest to discuss how better to respond to future humanitarian crises. Good morning. Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane says the mistake Sadak made was overexposing South African Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa. Tabane was reacting to calls from some sectors in Lesotho for Ramaphosa to step down as Sadak facilitator. A protest march to demand that Ramaphosa recuse himself will be held on Friday. Tabane says some countries just pulled out of the mediation efforts, thereby leaving Ramaphosa alone. Tabane has described him as a wonderful human being. Authorities at the airport in Egypt's capital, Cairo, have tightened security after finding two bombs near the arrivals hall. A homemade explosive device also exploded in central Cairo, wounding two people. The target of the blast near a busy square in downtown Cairo is not immediately clear. The bombs at the airport were detected with electronic devices. Airport security officials are reviewing video footage to try and determine who planted the bombs. 
Research and advocacy organization Good Governance Africa says the misappropriation of funds is one of the reasons the Nigerian military is failing to tackle Boko Haram. The organization, which works to improve performance on the continent, conducted research that explains why the Nigerian army is struggling to deal with a militant group. Misappropriation of funds leads to an under-resourced army, making it vulnerable. Researcher Karen Hasser says support from other African countries is needed to fight Boko Haram. There seems to be sufficient funding for the military. Much of this funding goes to officers who are responsible for dispersing it within the military and this is where there's some corruption taking place and some money disappears into the pockets of some officers or it's misappropriated so it's not going to the things it should be spent on, such as equipment, as a result that many soldiers don't have weapons, don't even have proper military apparel, you know, boots even. The the troops are really under-equipped as a result of misappropriation of funds. A vaccine against the Ebola virus about to be tested on 30,000 people in West Africa is safe, but is yet to prove its efficiency. It sailed through clinical trials in Britain, the U.S., Switzerland and Mali with around 200 healthy volunteers. Findings published in a New England Journal of Medicine show the vaccine generated immunity with levels of antibodies increasing over a period of 28 days. However, whether the levels will be enough to counter the virus remains to be seen. Since the start of the outbreak in March, Ebola has killed 8,600 people. And finally, international experts are gathering in Budapest, Hungary today to discuss how better to respond to future humanitarian crises. The regional consultation, which is attended by head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, is in preparation for the 2016 World Humanitarian Summit. The first ever World Humanitarian Summit will bring together governments, humanitarian organizations and people affected by humanitarian crises. A child spokesperson, Jans Larkas, says the Budapest event is part of a series of meetings. This consultation includes participation from Europe, United States, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. It's a two-day event and all the participants, which also include academia, civil society and development organizations, they will discuss how to reshape aid. That's the kind of overall purpose of this and improve the humanitarian system's response to crisis in the future. Recapping the top stories, Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane says Sadek made a mistake by overexposing South African Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa, who is serving as Sadek facilitator and mediator in Lesotho. Egypt tightened security at Cairo Airport after finding two bombs near the arrivals hall, and international experts gather in Budapest to discuss how better to respond to future humanitarian crises.
You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Moshatama, and today we're looking at where we are on the continent when it comes to fighting Ebola, the first large-scale trial of an experimental vaccine against Ebola has kicked off in Liberia. The potentially preventative medicine has been taken under strict security to a secret location in the West African country. Scientists aim to immunize about 10,000 volunteers including frontline health workers. Uh, Medical experts have described the trial as a positive move in the right direction in an outbreak that has claimed the lives of more than 8,500 people, the vast majority in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone. Now, to talk to us more about the trial from London, here's Professor Adrian Hill, the director of uh, the Jenner Institute at the Oxford, uh, uh, rather at the University of Oxford. So the vaccine to be tested will be given to around about nine or 10,000 people, and they will be compared with a different group of nine to 10,000 people who will not receive the vaccine. So over the following weeks, uh, the number of cases in the vaccinated group and in the non-vaccinated group will be compared, and hopefully we will see fewer cases in those who are vaccinated. How much confidence do you have, Professor, on this vaccine that you feel you need to explore it further? What makes it unique? So we're very confident indeed that this uh, is a safe vaccine. There have been hundreds of people vaccinated with it in several continents now, in Europe, initially in Africa, and a small number in the United States as well. And from what we've seen with this particular vaccine and other vaccines of this type, it looks very likely that it's going to be safe. We'll get more information, of course, from this planned trial in uh, 9 or 10,000 people. The more difficult question is how well will it work? We can only estimate that from what we've seen in terms of getting immune responses after vaccination. And we're hopeful that there may be some efficacy, but of course we need to do the trial to find out if it works. How critical would you say such a trial is, especially at a time like this when there's no specific therapy for the virus? Well, I think this is a very important trial. If we can show the vaccine, any vaccine against Ebola has high efficacy, that it will be important for two reasons. Firstly, it should be able to help end this terrible outbreak in West Africa. And also importantly, it would provide us with a vaccine that would be ready to use for the next outbreak. How long will the entire trial process run for? It depends how effective the vaccine is. So if the vaccine is seen to be effective, very effective early on, the trial would be stopped then and everybody, all the participants would be vaccinated with that vaccine because by then we would know if it works. So, you know, we're anticipating several months and maybe a little longer than that or it may end early if the vaccine works really well. What happens, Professor, if the vaccine is found to be effective? Well, then we would have the nice position of having to scale up the manufacture of that vaccine even more, have it uh, fully registered by various regulatory authorities. It would be available, as I said, to help end this outbreak. It would also probably be made into large stockpiles in case there were future new outbreaks and it would possibly go on the market so that anybody could buy it. Finally there, tell us about some of the people who are involved in this trial. Ah, so there are a lot of people involved in getting this vaccine to where it is today. As I say, we at the University of Oxford here at the Jenner Institute did the first clinical trial of this vaccine formulation. We did that in close collaboration with GlaxoSmithKline, 
the drug company developing the vaccine, the National Institutes of Health who were involved in not just testing the vaccine but also doing a lot of the preclinical work, another biotechnology company in Italy called Okairos, and particularly the World Health Organization, which has been playing an important coordinating role in not just helping with the outbreak in West Africa but coordinating the various companies and groups developing new vaccines. And finally, I should mention all of those funders who provided millions and millions of dollars to let these trials go forward very quickly, really in record time. That's Professor Adrian Hill, director of the Jenner Institute at the University of Oxford in London, talking there to Channel Africa's Elizabeth Lidija. And that was an informative uh, uh, interview indeed there. Now to really expand on this conversation, we have on the line Dr. Thomas Nyiranda, who is the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership, which is based at the Medical Research Council. He's also the country's clinical trials manager. We also have uh, Dr. Margaret Harris, who is uh, also from the World Health Organization, and uh, she is uh, the Ebola uh, Director General. She's in the Ebola Director General's office there. But I want to start with you, Dr. Thomas Nyerenda, looking at not just the trials, but in terms of the progress that's been made currently. We know that uh, there's been a decrease of new infections in terms of the infections of Ebola in, in those countries that are affected in uh, West Africa. Uh, where are we in that regard, sir? Uh, sorry, I, I didn't get you there, Benjamin. Uh, could you repeat the last part of your question, please? I was asking you, in terms of uh, the uh, levels of new infected people, I know that the numbers are going down in that regard in the three West African countries that are affected by Ebola. Do we know where we are in that regard? Do we know what? I think the line is a bit bad. Sorry, I'm, I apologize. I, I, I can't hear what you say towards the end of your question. All right, I was asking in terms of new infections, where are we in that regard? I know that the numbers were going down. Yes, I mean, of course, I mean, from the literature and also from the country reports, uh, what we're getting and also from the World Health Organization reports is that these numbers have re- considerably gotten down. And this is quite pleasing to hear. But uh, Remember that um, in in these countries, we started off from a very a, a mm. aggressive uh, uh, attack of um, uh, of the epidemic, and there have been various measures that uh, have been put in place um, with numerous support from many countries uh, into Africa, such that, for example, surveillance has been really improved. Anybody traveling in Africa now uh, knows that as soon as they get off the airplane, they'll have their temperature done. So that has really helped to pick up cases uh, or imminent cases where they could be and track their contacts and make sure that uh, the disease is controlled and doesn't uh, spread any further. So it's not a surprise, I think, that uh, this uh, is happening. Although, in a natural sense, the epidemic comes and goes. But Mm. uh, we have to pay a lot of tribute, as Professor Hill was saying, uh, to all the partners and countries that have put in enormous support in the last 12 months.
to keep the cases down. Now, let me move to Dr. Margaret Harris from the World Health Organization in Geneva. In terms of this progress, uh, are we also doing well in terms of uh, uh, making sure that uh, those areas where this, uh, uh, there's a, a dominance of uh, Ebola, that we, we have things under control there and there's enough assistance in, in those countries in terms of medical experts? You're right. This is a very, very crucial phase. Uh, we do have m- much increased capacity in all the three affected countries, and that capacity is working. So we're able to isolate, identify the cases early, and the people in the communities are understanding the importance of coming forward and getting treated early. And fortunately, in all the countries, we have the capacity to treat people early and effectively. So those things are working, but there is this risk that people will say, ah, good, you know, finally we're getting somewhere Mm. and relaxing and reducing the amount of places for treatment and, 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 and turning on to something else. And that is a very big risk. We really have to increase our efforts right now and track down every case so that we totally stop this outbreak and get down to zero cases. Mm. And Dr. Margaret Harris, there's a lot of excitement about this new vaccine. And uh, when it comes to medical uh, terms, people always get things wrong. And maybe some people are thinking, hey, there's a cure for Ebola (laughs) now. I know that when it comes to medical terms, there's always a confusion. In that regard, how do we deal with these new announcements at this point? Okay, well, I think the important term there is experimental. Yes, we know uh, a tremendous amount of fantastic scientific work has been done on these vaccines, and we know that they induce a good immune response in the volunteers that have been tested in in the US and in Europe. We also know it's got a good safety profile. So, okay, they're safe, and they produce the right immune response. But the really big question is, do they work when you are exposed to Ebola. Now, that's not something you can just say to to a volunteer, go and expose yourself to Ebola. The only way to know that is to give it to people in communities where there is active Ebola, and if indeed all the people you give it to don't get Ebola, you've got a pretty good idea that it is protecting against Ebola. So that's why these trials that are now beginning in the affected countries are very, very important, because they will give us the next piece of information. But the other thing people have to understand is it's not a cure. If you've already got Ebola, the vaccine's not going to fix you. What a vaccine is, is a prevention. It is a means of protecting you, but it's only one tool in a very big toolkit you need when you're fighting Ebola. I think you bring also a very good point there. And in terms of coming back to you, Dr. Thomas Nirenda, looking at this experimental vaccine uh, element, why is it on such a large scale, this particular trial? Why do we need to do it in such a massive scale? Why don't we just do it in small doses so we just understand the phenomenon uh, and, and, and not get too excited about it? Well, I think... Uh, um that's the way um, internationally uh, these studies are done to, to meet the high standard. So as Professor Hill said, the first phase, which you test in healthy volunteers um, for their vaccine, for example, uh, they recruited people in the UK, and that phase is done. And um, it shows that uh, the immune responses start to uh, come up in those, in those people. And 
the second phase is really to bring them to a larger population um, uh, in, in an infected area as they have done and um, usually to show the differences statistically uh, you don't you really require large numbers of, of patients and this is always a challenge to clinical trials and then but you know uh, they've they've taken it to West Africa where the problem is and the assumption is there will be so many people there that will be ex- you know, stand a chance of being exposed, and uh, the more you recruit, the more your, your, your confidence will be in your result that, that it really works if there's a, shown a difference. If the, if the number of people is small, then you won't be able to, to confidently tell the world that uh, this, is, um, uh, this is an effective vaccine. It's a, it's a scientific uh, approach uh, that um, is really required at this stage. Well, uh, we are looking at uh, the new developments of uh, what's happening in terms of Ebola, and we know that it's affected uh, uh, mainly the majority of uh, people in uh, Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. It's been a big story since 2014, and we've been following it here uh, on uh, African Dialogue, and we still want to keep abreast of this. On the line, we have Dr. Thomas Nirenda, who is the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership, which is based at the Medical Research Council. It's also a country's clinical trials manager. And also we have uh, Dr. Margaret Harris, who is uh, from the uh, World Health Organization in Geneva, right there at the Ebola Director General's Office. We'll continue with them to ask more questions about this new vaccine, about moving forward as well, because I really appreciate what Dr. Margaret Harris was saying earlier on in terms of, hey, alerting us and saying we might be at this point but this is an experimental point and there's still a lot of work to be done and there's still a lot of care to be taken in terms of dealing with Ebola. We'll continue this debate after this conversation. The time right now is 11.21 Central African time. You are listening to Channel Africa. This message is meant for a listener in South Africa. Hi, I'm Gosazana Zamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, we are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola, you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola, but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency to stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org. With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you.
This is a story that we've been following since early last year uh, when we heard about Ebola coming back into the health uh, world and it was a big concern for us and it seemed at some point early last year that it was under control and moving into the later months of 2014 we saw it was becoming a crisis and it's still something that we are looking at here at African Dialogue. Now we know that the new developments that a vaccine against the Ebola virus is about to be tested on 30,000 people in West Africa and whether it's safe and it's yet to prove its uh, efficacy. So we still need to know if this uh, vaccine actually works. It's still at the experimental uh, point and now we actually trying to figure out how do you actually determine that, when, especially when you use a vaccine in itself. And there's a lot of technicalities in that and we've got some experts in the line to help us with that. We've got uh, Dr. Margaret Harris who is uh, from the Ebola Director General's Office of the World Health Organization joining us from Geneva. We also have Dr. Thomas Nirenda who is the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. Now that's based at the Medical Research Council. He's also a country's clinical trials manager. Now I'll come back to the technicalities of it in terms of how do you deal with that with Dr. Nirenda. But Dr. Margaret Harris, in terms of uh, just mobilizing our efforts to increase some of uh, that capacity in these countries. In terms of commitment, we know now the African Union has also uh, come in in terms of trying to contribute, getting health uh, workers in that part of the world to contribute. In terms of the World Health Organization's uh, mandate on this Ebola issue, where are you as an organization? Well, we've spent much of our work on Ebola has been coordinating and mobilizing exactly what you say, support from countries in all sorts of fields. So we've mobilized our networks to find the people who have the expertise needed to assist the countries, such as people who are experts in infection prevention and control, people who are experts in care of people with with a disease like Ebola, people who are experts in tracking down cases and assisting local authorities to develop teams able to track down cases and people who are expert in laboratory services. So much of our work has been getting all this together and making sure that all those people on ground are on the ground, are supported and are replaced as often as possible so that people don't burn out. And and Dr. Harris, in terms of looking back, and maybe there are some lessons that we can actually see from uh, when we saw the outbreak of Ebola. What were the main challenges in the last year, especially for the World Health Organization, because we have seen an increase of the numbers? Uh, It's been very challenging. I'm sorry, somebody was just blurring the line. So if I'm not answering your question properly, I apologize. Hmm. Uh, It has been very challenging to keep up the numbers. Uh, Financially, this has been a crisis. It's been very challenging. Mm. So we've had to work very hard with the donors to to, um, mobilize the funds needed to support all the activities that have had to be done to get on top of this enormous outbreak. We've not seen anything like this Mm. in, in, in modern human history. And also to mobilize the scientific efforts. We've had Uh, a a tremendous amount of work getting all the people together to do all this work on different vaccines, different treatments, different means of diagnosing 
the, the, the virus very quickly. One of the biggest problems was in the early days of the outbreak, it took, often took four days for people to get a result. So, yes, it has been an enormous effort to mobilise these uh, different capacities, but I have to say the world has stepped up and we hope, we believe the world will continue to be there with all of us fighting this virus. Well, I want to come back to the technicalities of this experimental vaccine with you, Dr. Thomas Nirenda. In terms of the challenges now, in terms of, okay, we have this uh, uh, vaccine that will be uh, in certain uh, uh, parts of uh, uh, those affected countries and those locations. Now, what would be the challenges of finding out that this actually works? Maybe explaining to me as an ordinary person. I was just off air speaking to my technical producer. Just about just the, how do you know that you know let's say you put a vaccine in me that okay this has happened and i don't have ebola because of the fact that i haven't been infected or it's because the vaccine is working inside of me how do you know the differences dr uh, nirenda how would you tell yeah so <clears throat> that's uh, a very uh, technical question indeed but uh, uh just to step back, um, the, the, these experiments, um, as you know, of these molecules that scientists assume um, will offer protection, start in animals. So the, somehow the, uh, they isolated um, uh, the, the proteins or molecules, whatever they are, and tried oh, them okay. in... Oh, uh, What interest? It, it, in, S1, in, I'll walk, because I'm on the phone. Oh, I think. Uh, I apologise okay. for that. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Margaret Harris is also trying to balance us with uh, her work there at the WHO. But Dr. Thomas, you can you can uh, carry on there. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the, the first of all, uh, the regulators have got to uh, before accept that they, these molecules can go into humans. Have to have enough data that these indeed uh, have shown the movement in the immunity in rats or guinea pigs or whatever animals that uh, the scientists have been uh, using uh, this vaccine in. And now when uh, it enters into phase one, like uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Hill's group has done in, in, in the UK, um, they, they also have to show that in humans there's some movement in, uh, in the immunity towards uh, protection or signs that protect um, uh, somebody against disease, and they use several measurements. They measure antibodies, they measure the, what they call um, T cells, for example, B cells, the same parameters that happen every time in a human being once they are invaded with a foreign body like a germ. Now, um, as far as we know, for example, in this phase, uh, in, uh, in London uh, group, uh, the study that is now moving to uh, Liberia, uh, in the volunteers, there's a shift in the immunity, so that is measurable in terms of these parameters, that uh, the molecule that the people were injected is causing some uh, a reaction. Now, that's where start, scientific challenges start to start, because um, in many experiments we have seen the movement in immunity may not be protective. So people may react to it and produce enough antibodies or produce a lot of uh, white cells that are deemed to be protective, but you cannot guarantee at that stage that that movement is uh, going to be protective. The analogy is when a town is invaded by uh, by terrorists, 
if you measure the number of guns people arm themselves with as a measure of protection, you may not be measuring the right thing because some of those guns may not have the ammunition to shoot, and it's the same in nature. So that's one of the challenges that the scientists will face. They immunize quite a number of people in West Africa, but now they, they, they have to replicate uh, uh, this protective uh, shift in the immunity that they saw in the volunteers in London, and that will be the first step. But the second step will be to show that that shift is indeed protective. Oh, it's just a mm. noisy shift. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a, big, a big challenge in these experiments. And it's a risk that mm. um, industry tech, mm. funders tech, and investors tech. Mm. And uh, that's, the, that's the first step. Yeah. And the second step is, of course, if it works in that smaller population, and then how do you generalize that the vaccine that worked in Liberia can work for all Africans? Mm. There are genetic um, differences, geographical differences, and we know, for example, in a vaccine like BCG, it works better in one geographical region and doesn't work in another because uh, people and the environment are different. So there are all those challenges that uh, people are going to face. I must say also, coming back to a state record, what this epidemic has really taught us is that if you really expedite uh, your groups, and regulatory environments, things can be done uh, uh, in a very swiftly way. And this has been an expedited um, ethics and regulatory approval with the leadership of WHO yeah. and other agencies yeah. that has never seen before mm. in, in clinical trials. Mm. And here we are, we can do it as quickly as we can, and we can move as quickly as we can to find whether this works or not in a very short time. And if it doesn't work, uh, as we say in science, any negative response or answer is not negative. It, it shows you uh, an alternative route to take. Mm. Dr. Margaret Harris, let me bring you in. In terms of coordinating such a, a big mission such as uh, this particular uh, vaccine, I mean, uh, 30,000 people, it's no small feat to make sure that they are vaccinated. Will the World Health Organization also be part of the coordination uh, efforts uh, to see this happening? We really coordinate the science and the the methods and, and assist where we can, but the actual trial that you're talking about in Liberia will be managed by the Liberian um, health officials, the health ministry. They've got an excellent principal investigator who's the local guy who's working with the National Institute of Health in the U.S. So that's a collaboration between the Liberian and the American uh, and the U.S. National Institute of Health. In uh, Guinea, a trial will be beginning relatively soon, and that will be a collaboration again between the Guinean government, but we will be more closely involved with that and along with... and along with... Um, oh, pardon. <laughs> Are you okay, Sorry. Dr. Harris? I'm at the, at the UN Palais, and they're not... They don't like my Liberian card. I'm oh, sorry, I'll have to get out. <laughs> Okay, can can we just con- try to uh, connect with uh, you a little bit apologies. later? Are you there I with us? I was just, just entering the UN, the UN building. Okay, um, Okay, uh, so and in, in Guinea, they are um, more closely involved. We'll be working as, as part of a, uh, a consortium of people, uh, which includes us, MSF, which will be the implementing partner, and the Guinean government. And in Sierra Leone, the Sierra Leonean, Ministry of Health and Government will be soon to start uh, a trial as well, and we're supporting them with logistics, helping them 
manage the vaccine, we're providing vaccine carriers, and they will be doing that with also a lot of support from the US CDC. So as you can see, all sorts of partners are doing all sorts of things in this massive effort. Well, uh, we're going to wrap it up just in, in a few minutes. Uh, uh, I just want us to, to look at moving forward, uh, Dr. Thomas Nirenda, in terms of what we need to do. I mean, this is a breakthrough, seeing this um, experimental vaccine being put forward, and uh, it is no small feat. But moving forward in terms of making sure that there are uh, greater efforts, as we highlighted earlier in the program, uh, what would you recommend, Dr. Nirenda? Well, I think, first of all, we need to uh, not uh, drop uh, the levels of our commitment. Um, At agency and government level, uh, we need to have the same commitment that we've shown in this first outbreak, and I think uh, the other speakers have touched on that. We need greater resources to continue this work. Um, There are quite a number of uh, uh, drugs uh, and also one or two other vaccines that are in the pipeline that uh, need to be tested. As I said, testing one doesn't give you the guarantee that it's going to work. Um, All these require uh, sustained um, uh, support in terms of funding, personnel, infrastructure, networking between uh, those who have technology and those who don't, um, so that uh, there's a platform to continue this work. And and also, uh, you know, involving the communities themselves. There's a role that the communities uh, will have to play in this, and some of it has already been shown by you know, teaching the communities, uh, bringing them back to the level of hygiene that they need to hold to prevent these diseases, educating the trainers of trainers, the health workers themselves, and even in the trials, um, we need the community support. Uh, in many places, trials have failed because the community uh, just one rumor turns them away and then you are unable to test your ready vaccine because uh, uh, people have spread some rumors that uh, uh, the vaccine will be uh, of adverse effect in, in, in NSF um, uh, within the community. So we, at that level, we also need to uh, you know, intensify the, our efforts. Um, I know what is generally uh, known is that these hemorrhagic viruses can be prevented through uh, good hygienic means. And the first uh, step should really be prevention. And this is where the, uh, the vaccine groups are, are also stepping in to, uh, to intensify the level of that prevention. And, mm. and uh, uh, that is what I, w- I would think would be yeah. the, the best approach. Yeah. We, we don't drop our level of commitment. Let's carry on. I mean, there are other competing uh, uh, diseases, uh, uh, there's a one publication that shows that uh, in Sierra Leone, for example, as 700 people were dying of Ebola, equally <laughs> same amounts of people, or even larger, were dying from HIV, mm. tuberculosis, mm. and mm. malaria. Mm. So we, we all have to remember that and mm. work with all partners who are interested in all these other uh, facets of mm. our health is quite important in mm. the future. Dr. Margaret Harris, if you're there with us, uh, what are your final sentiments to this conversation? A, a final thought on this? Yes. Uh, I, this is just, as I said, a wonderful example of when humanity gets together, we can achieve extraordinary things. We've been faced with an appalling situation. It, people say we took a while, but we got together, and now we're all standing together. So 
scientifically and in human terms to fight this thing. And I certainly feel very gratified to be part of this and very proud of all of us as human beings. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Margaret Harris there, who is from the Ebola Director General's Office from the World Health Organization in uh, Geneva. She was busy uh, speaking to us, but I'm sure she had a busy schedule. So we do appreciate you making time for us, Dr. Harris. also want to thank Dr. Uh, Thomas Nirenda, who is the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. Now that's based at the Medical Research Council. He's also the country He's a clinical trials manager. Thank you so much, Dr. Nirenda, as well, for joining us. Thanks, Benjamin. Well, those were our guests for today. Very informative indeed. And also, I think, uh, let's be aware, Africans, that, hey, we haven't won the fight against Ebola. There's still a lot to do. And I'm not dumbing down your enthusiasm. I'm not uh, watering down the efforts that have been made. But I am saying that, hey, let's be cautious. Let's still be awakened. Let's still be determined to also fight this thing. And at this point, let's still see what's going to be happening with this experimental vaccine. And also, hey, let's garner behind these three countries and do a little bit uh, that we can to support them. I know that on our website, we've got a campaign taking place that is aiming to actually raise some funds to get some medical experts there. We've partnered up with the African Union. So go to www www.channelafrica.org and if you're just uh, uh, checking it out what it's all about just go check it out for yourself and see what that partnership is all about but hey what were your thoughts about today's uh, uh, conversation plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five your sms's are welcomed or you can interact with us via twitter at channel africa one that's how we wrap it up for today i'm going to play a little song just uh, before we uh, come back with our economics news
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. That was uh, Lira there with one titled Believer. And I think our technical producer loves Lira, so she played that one. So I like Lira as well. I think she's the, some people say she's the Beyonce of Africa. I'm not quite sure about that. I think she's her own unique person. But the time right now is 11.45. Let's move on and get our business news from Wisani Matebula. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. State-owned development funds from Norway and Britain have teamed up to build more power plants in sub-Saharan Africa. Under the deal, no fund will buy 30% of power company, Glow Black Africa, from minority shareholders. The deal is expected to be closed by June this year. Glow Black Africa is uh, eight power plants in Cote d'Ivoire, Cameroon, Kenya, South Africa, and Tanzania with a total gross capacity of 1.9% of megawatts. It has already secured deals to develop more power plants in Cote d'Ivoire and Cameroon. No Fund, which is also has a partnership with a Norwegian hydropower producer, Statecraft, has invested about $700 million in power projects. And still about uh, power utilities, uh, the South African one, ESCOM, will start implementing load sharing shortly and possibly continue for the rest of the week. It says this is because uh, the grid is constrained. Yesterday, the power grid was under pressure after one of Quebec's units in Cape Town was taken out of service because of a technical fault. The unit is still down, but the utility says it's doing all it can to fix the problem. Spokesperson Kulu Pasiwe. At this stage, the power system is severely constrained, and as a result, we are going to implement stage one of load sharing from 10 o'clock until uh, 10 in the evening. We are asking all our customers to also assist us where possible by reducing the load so that we can either minimize the possibility of going into stage two or actually even uh, reducing or lifting the stage one that we are currently going to go into. The International Monetary Fund has signed off a $688 million one-year loan program for Kenya, which is meant to support the government's economic reforms and help it uh, weather possible outside shocks. Kenya says it does not intend to draw on the money, but rather have it on hand in case external shocks like weather, security concerns or market volatility lead the government to run into difficulty paying its bills. The IMF says the new arrangements will provide a policy anchor for continued reforms and mitigate the impact of shocks if they come around. One of South Africa's big four banks, Standard Bank, says uh, this year will be tough for the African continent. Oil-producing countries such as Nigeria and Angola are already experiencing financial hardships after the recent rapid decline in the oil price. Mining countries such as the DRC, Zambia and South Africa, they are also expected to face difficulties in terms of growth. Rajat Kohli is a global head of mining and metals at Standard Bank. The reality is that, as you say, lower commodity prices means lower revenues and therefore lower tax receipts coming into the host country. So it's going to be challenging. But in the medium term, we very firmly believe, uh, I do consider that the narrative for African mining remains intact, that it's a very attractive continent to invest into in terms of its growth potential. It's relatively underexplored and relatively underdeveloped. 
Financial indicators, the dollar at 11.58, South African rands at 9.49, Botswana pulas and 6.47, Zambian quarters also at 0.66 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Moving now to commodities market, gold $1,273, platinum $1,226 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil continues to gain some ground now at $55.13 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Time now to move on and get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Good day, sports fans, and starting off with football news, FIFA presidential candidate Jerome Champagne is out of the race after failing to win sufficient backing from his bid, saying that national associations feared reprisals if they supported him. Champagne needed the backing of five national associations for his bid. The Frenchman says he lost sponsorship after former Portugal forward Luis Figo and Dutch FA president Michael van Praag announced last week that they would stand. We need a different FIFA. We need a FIFA which is more democratic, a FIFA which is more respected, a FIFA which behaves better, but also a FIFA which, do, which, do more, which can do more. With one-third of the votes on FIFA's executive committee, Champagne says European football's governing body believes that it can decide on everything, and this is what the Dutch FA president, Marco van Praag, had to say. As, as president of FIFA, I want to hold on to the good things FIFA has achieved, but I also want to do things differently to Mr. Blotter. You can see this in the countries I have chosen to back me. For me, they represent a cross-section of Europe's football landscape. They are diverse in every way. That is also how I see my candidacy. I want to be a president for all countries. Another thing I want to do differently to Seb Blatter is my term in office. I only want to hold the presidency for a single term of four years. A single term of four years. This is because I want to make room for a new generation as quickly as possible. World Soccer Governing Body FIFA has issued a chilling warning to Zimbabwe and revealed that the country could face severe sanctions and be ostracized from the global football family should government press ahead with threats to dissolve the the ZIFA board. Sports, Arts and Culture Deputy Minister Tabetha Nkenoyongo Malinge last week piled on the pressure on troubled Zifa when she told Parliament that her ministry is considering disbanding the association's leadership regardless of the consequences that would see FIFA banned Zimbabwe. Konoengene Malenga says in terms of FIFA's regulations, they should not be seen interfering, but she says their views as government is that it is better that they are suspended as a country as they clean up the mess caused by Zifa. On to cricket news, Proteas assistant coach Adrian 
Burrell is of the view that experience is going to play a massive role at the upcoming ICC Cricket World Cup, which is going to be co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. Well, I think a bit of experience there of, of playing in previous World Cups that it's very long. Um, you can't sort of start like at a gallop and then end, end at a canter. You've got to go all the way through. Um, it's very long uh, being away from families and being you know, on the road all the time. Uh, and it's tedious as well sometimes. You know, you've got to practice every day and, and that goes on. But uh, um, obviously the, as you get to the quarterfinals and semifinals, you know, the... the the stakes go a lot higher and, and you've got to really peak for those for those matches. The 50-year-old former Eastern Province bowler believes the Proteas can finally lay their hands on the World Cup trophy this time around. I think we've got a good chance. Uh, we're not going to say we're favourites, but we must be one of the favourites. We've played good cricket over the last two years. And I think uh, this, you know, this, this, uh, the tour to, the, to Australia... Um, allowed us to take a lot of learnings from that tour and hopefully we'll be able to apply those um, in the World Cup so I think you know we did very well going there even though we lost in that series but we we won in New Zealand and we're playing three matches in New Zealand three in Australia so I think we prepared very well we've just come off a very good series win against uh, the West Indies so the confidence is high and and, uh, we can sort of not hope but expect to do well. The Proteas will leave for Australasia on Wednesday to prepare for their opening ICC Cricket World Cup match against their neighbour Zimbabwe in Seaton Park, Hamilton on the 15th of February. And finally in hockey news, Belgium secured a 3-1 win over South Africa's women's hockey team in Cape Town on Monday night. The result leaves the six test series tied at 2 all with two tests drawn. Belgium were 1-0 up in the, 70, in the 17th minute but failed to hold on the lead when South Africa found the net shortly after through a penalty stroke with Durkey Chamberlain converting with aplomb for one all in the 34th minute. South Africa conceded a short penalty um, kick after then then defender Stephanie de Croft slapped the ball just inside the near post to put Belgium 2-1 ahead in the sixth, in the 36th minute. With three minutes to go, Belgium won a penalty and de Croft slapped shot slammed into the backboard for 3-1 in the 57th minute. Well, those are your sports news at the Sawa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. So that's how we wrap up our program today. Thank you for joining us. Let's wrap up with uh, the proverb of the day. This one is a Nigerian proverb. And hey, guys, you better listen up if you want to choose a good wife here because I think the Nigerians have a way ahead of us with their wisdom. This is what they say. Ugliness with a good character is better than beauty. Ugliness with a good character is better than beauty. Hey, I'm going to now go look for an ugly girl with a good character and see if that works for me. I don't know about you, but I'm not buying that. (laughs) 
But remember, let's move on. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Coming up is uh, Africa Midday. And Zikonomiso will be giving you the latest on the news front. Uh, remember to interact with us via SMS on plus 27823325905. That's all I have. Until tomorrow, God bless.